Welcome to EB Spoke, the podcast, episode two, What the Customer Experienced. Today, I'm joined by Jared Sims, and we're going to talk about the business of customer experience. Hey, welcome, Jared. Thanks for joining me today. It's a great day in Atlanta, and if we want to keep people excited, I think we want to get them going with some ideas right up the beginning, and then we'll talk about our topic, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you have a graphics design or a UX design background a little bit, right? We'll get into that, but but you do have that background, right? Of course. All right. So what is the best color? <laughs> there is no best color. It's It would be a best color based on research, based on what we're trying to apply that color to. But I'm, I'm going to press you and say, I don't want you to do any research. I need a snap decision. What is the best color? I want a color right now. Blue. Blue? All right. That's a great color. I like blue. That's what I would have picked. Happy with that. And I guess the other thing is, you know, if we're thinking about design, it doesn't matter, right? Nobody cares about UX and design, right? It's, it sometimes can feel that way. However, I can assure you in all of my experience that when it comes down to that production ready thing, it always matters. Yep. And for folks that are listening to this, I can tell that that's true because you don't get the video of this, but Jared is dressed up and he looks great today. <laughs> I forgot to tell him this was a audio only recording, but thank you, Jared, for that amazing suit that you're wearing today. I love it, man. It was a good excuse to take a shower this morning. So absolutely. And and that's the kind of thing is presentation matters, right? The experience matters. Absolutely. All right, let's switch gears now. So like we were just saying, uh, appearance matters, design matters, right? And I think that's a great pivot to what we want to talk about today. But first, let's do some introductions. Jared Sims, tell me about yourself. Sir, so been working in design and user experience for better part of 13, 14-ish years prior to officially obtaining, I, I guess what we would all call true career. I did a lot of freelance design. So I started to get my feet wet pretty early on, even while I was in college on that client kind of responsibility and that, that client engagement. But it's been a fantastic ride. I've seen lots of changes over the course of the years. Having officially embarked on a technology path in consulting, that truly helped me grow some wings in just understanding the tech side, not just the design side, but understanding how things were implemented, how things were developed, and then pushed into a live scenario. So through the course of that journey, I've been able to lead and establish some practices along the way. And now I am back at improving and loving life. That's awesome. And yeah, you mentioned improving just for the everyone who is listening who maybe doesn't know both of us. We both work at a company called Improving. We do IT consulting, offices in Canada, US, and Mexico. Not just IT consulting, though. We do a lot of the customer experience and design that we're talking about with Jared today. So we do bring our expertise to this. Right. I love getting the good word out about customer experience, user experience. I think probably Jared, too, from a just a pure topic introduction perspective, the topic today is not user experience, not design. It's what we're calling customer experience. And Right. And those who saw the description saw, I think of that as every single touch point that a customer can have with a business. Is that the correct kind of classic definition of customer experience? Or maybe what is what do you think of when people say customer experience? Uh, the first thing that comes to mind with customer experience is understanding the value of all the touch points, understanding the ecosystem that is required to support that brand and that, that true and pure customer experience. 
In other words, there's lots of different technologies. There's lots of different customer facing things. There's, there's lots of different internal facing things that support the customer facing things, right? So yeah. what we're essentially saying is that there's an entire ecosystem built up of technology, of products that exist to elevate that brand and how well that brand does that essentially impacts its overall customer experience. I think that's the, the, the most concise way of putting it. And I like that because when we use the word touch point and, and maybe it's worth talking about what we mean. If you're a traditional brick and mortar, it means something different than if you're a pure online only. Yeah. But how does the customer interact with you no matter what type of business you are, right? So my graphic in today's talk was a grocery store, right? Which people would think, well, what's, what's a grocery store got to do with customer experience? They have customers. They're in the grocery store. They are experiencing the grocery store. Yeah. And if you've been in different grocery stores, you'll see a very different customer experience, right? Of how wide are the shelves from each other? How well stocked are they? How empty? Like these are elements of customer experience that maybe people don't think about. They're talking about it traditionally, but are still part of that. What other touch points do you think people need to realize are still part of their customer experience? You know, you just you just hit on something that made me want to bring up this topic or this idea is that maybe it's intentional that the customer doesn't think about it, how wide the aisles are, how separated the products are, right? Like those are the things that are incredibly highly thought out, but don't necessarily impact the customer impromptu or, or in the experience. And I think right. that the more you, decrease that kind of friction or that mindset of if I am a customer and I am looking at the aisle and I'm going, this aisle is way too narrow. Well, that's a fail. Yeah. But the more things that you can think about creatively that support more of a seamless journey, the better. Right. I often think about how, and I, I hate to use Amazon because they're so big, but through the course of the years, you think online shopping, sure, it's super convenient, but then what if it's wrong? What if the product's wrong? I'm, I'm not touching it. I'm not seeing it. I used to be, I would call myself kind of a dinosaur here that I like to go in a store and I like to touch it and feel it. Yeah, same. Over the course of the years, I've naturally gravitated toward the ease of the online shopping. Now, here's where I'm trying to get at. Amazon has an incredible customer experience because they're able to make this online shopping convenient for even if I want to return. I can go to a UPS store and just say, I simply don't like this. And everything is taken care of. There's no fees. There's no, there's no haggling. Yeah. There's no, well, let me look at the product. Is it damaged? No, Amazon just accepts the fact that you did not like our product. We're going to make sure we take care of you. And what does that do to me as a user? I'm going to keep coming back. Right. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It, you remind me of, you know, we're talking about how well-dressed you are today. And I bought a belt from Amazon and it's the same kind of thing. It's like, I prefer to buy a belt in the store because what it actually looks like matters. But here's a photo. It looks fine. <laughs> right. I get the belt. And uh, we live in Georgia, not Texas. This belt probably should have been sold in Texas only because it was giant. Like, <laughs> this is not the style of belt. You couldn't tell from the picture though, right? It, in the photos, it looked all the normal proportions, but in person, it was just not anything I was going to be able to wear. And I'm like, hey, Amazon, sorry, don't want to keep the belt. And they're like, don't even bother sending it back. Like, it's not worth it to us for you to, to ship it back. And I'm like, okay. And so I basically gave a belt to my neighbor and like, hey, congrats, you have a belt now. <laughs> but, but to your point, the customer experience there, right, is... What is the least friction to keep that customer happy yeah. as they do every stage of the process? And I think that's 
something I've, I've said a few times as I describe our talk. It is literally every step of the process. So when the customer first meets you through your marketing, you know, if you've got billboards, if you've got ads, to when they come to buy something from you, the sales experience that they have, if they have bought from you and they're using the product, what does the customer success look like? How does that get managed? If there's a problem, customer support, or for that matter, you know what, I'm done. I, I need to leave. Maybe I'm moving and can no longer use your service, or I sold my car and I don't need that satellite radio anymore. All those things, as I leave the company, that's also customer experience. And Absolutely, yes. What's that sense that I'm getting from you, the business, that every single one of those touch points matters to whether I come back? Yes. And the people, it's, oh, that's such a good, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. That reminds me too of what is that brand perception? What am I leaving the customer with, even if they're disembarking my brand experience or my brand journey? How am I leaving that taste in their mouth that is, you know what, that was, I think they handled it with class and I am still going to come back one day. Or recommend. Or recommend, exactly. I don't use them, but you should. Yeah. And I think that's, to be fair, I feel like most companies understand the first 80% of what we were just talking about. And that last 20 of exiting is not something that they spend much time on. I think just from personal experience, when I've had to stop being a customer, there's a lot of consumer companies that make that hard, right? Yeah, on more of a, a more of a personal note, I think this is why I have enjoyed the user experience path so much is that by virtue and just very naturally, I think that I exist to support other humans. I think that being able to work in an environment that supports those humans in the most, I don't know, the best way possible to ensure that everyone can just be happy, right? I, I know it sounds a little far-fetched and maybe a little bit blue sky in this crazy today? world that we're living in, but I do. This is why I enjoy doing UX and CX, the broader topic of CX. I want to make sure that if there is anything, the CX matters, the UX matters, not just in a technology setting. Right. It matters across humans. Exactly. Because I'm going to jump here and say it's not customer experience, it's human experience, right? Human experience. And, yep. and people like buy from people. I see a billboard and I see a product. I still know somewhere behind the scenes there's people there. And likewise, if you're selling, you got to know that you're selling two people. So if you don't have human-centric concepts at every step of that customer life cycle, they're going to know it. They're going to feel it. And gonna feel it's it. going to affect your uh, your ultimate business. Yep. And I know we've kind of maybe gotten on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's important because it's a good foundation of, we're talking about customer experience. We're talking about that, how it applies to the, the experience I, as a customer, have of your business. And we talked about a lot of different aspects. So I think everything's foundational, but maybe let's pivot a little bit here to, so what? I hear you, Jared. I hear you, Eric. Customer experience matters because I want people to like me as a brand and have repeat customers, don't have to get new customers. They will, I want them to refer me, to recommend me. But can we also measure that in a little bit of hard dollars and cents too? Mm-hmm. Yes, but I'll, I'll let you kind of talk a little bit about some ways you've seen customers truly benefit in a pure financial sense from good customer experience. I've, uh, one that jumps out to me right off the bat is that internal sort of support scenario where if their internal systems aren't set up for their customer support success, then in turn, the customer ends up getting super dissatisfied, right? Doesn't come back. So that's a loss. We're talking about additions, but 
also we're talking about the possibility of loss just because you're not thinking about the ecosystem. I'll go back to that ecosystem conversation yeah. or topic that that's the one that jumps out to me, Eric, is that if that internal system is not being efficient enough to handle the customer's need, then everything starts to break down. Right. So when we talk about return on investment, think about looking into those internal systems and making them fully operable, fully supportive for not just that customer, but truly for the people that work for you. Right, exactly. Right? The people that work for you first so that you can then help others. It's like the old saying, what you hear when you get in an airplane every single time, you know, put the put the, the mask over yourself before helping others. It's not selfish. It's just a way of ensuring that you can support others. Exactly. No, I think that's a great point, right? If you're, if, as a company, if your employees are unhappy, why are they going to make your customers happy, right? Like you have to have that internal foundation to support your external growth that you want. So, and we talked a little bit about the customer support. Customer support's expensive, right? So I think back to the early days of computing and a, a little company called WordPerfect. Everybody loved because it had an 800 number. If you needed help with their product, you called it, you talked to them, a human answered and you got your answer. And that was amazing yeah. because most software companies didn't have that. And then that went away because that's expensive. How do you keep a staff of people who know your product well enough that you can afford an 800 number that human answers? That's just hard, right? Yeah. And so I think, I think too, imagine if the support lines are getting overflowed, that means, right. so we, again, circling back to ROI, if you're having to hire more customer support, there might be a problem with something on more of that customer facing side. Exactly. And I think that might be an easy tie back, right? To the hard dollars that you can see. If I'm investing in the customer experience and if we're right. a product company, probably the user experience as well, right? I should be able to tie improvements in that yes. directly yes. to reductions in customer support requests. An easy to use product doesn't need as many customer service agents as a hard to use product. And so now that ties into UX, right? So the UX side of product development, right. another ROI topic is the fact that it's a lot less expensive to hire us as UXers initially than to build something, to build a product all the way out, go to production with it and for it to fail because there wasn't enough user research done. There wasn't enough experiential research done. There wasn't enough just pushing pixels around. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. At some point, what we get to in our life cycle is putting pixels down yeah. that don't cost a lot of money. It costs a lot more money to build the thing out and then to get it wrong and then to go revisit it. That's a lot of developers. That's a lot of engineering yes. resources that right. need to put their you know fingers to a keyboard as opposed to maybe a handful of UXers that are conducting some research, understand the user's needs, present to the engineering team what is going to be the most effective, at least for an initial iteration, and then continue to improve it. Yeah, I think it's the old rule of measure twice, cut once, right? Like, are you really building the thing that you need to build the right way you need to build it? Because if not, it could just fail. You're right. That could be the worst case. But what if it doesn't fail and it's just super expensive to support and run because of that, right? Like, like we released a new feature and our call centers cut, crashed instead because it was so buggy or just so poorly conceived from a user experience. So yeah, let's move that. Other topics we talk about shift left for quality assurance, for security, user experience should be shifted left too, right? It should be early in the cycle so that we're not building something, cutting and then measuring twice. I truly believe we're 
getting there too. This used to be something that had to be evangelized so hard. You know, getting UX involved was like, oh, these guys just, all they really do is make it look pretty. I mean, that's partially true, but- And that does matter. It does matter, right? I think when it finally lands, and, and I keep using the word production, when it's finally landed in production, that's when people start having opinions, right? right. So yes, we can make things look pretty, but there's a lot of other cycles and, and evolutions that occur exactly to get it to that prettiness, to, to get it to that state of this looks like it's ready to fly. Yeah, completely agree. And if there's a theme, right, the experience at every point matters. Looking pretty is part of that experience because if I'm looking at an ugly website, I'm not going to use it. If I'm looking at an ugly car, I'm probably not going to buy it. Right. So you do want that make it look pretty part, but also make it useful, make it functional, make it delightful. Delightful. Yeah. yeah I mean, in this market, especially today with the, the plethora of products that are constantly slammed in our face, no one has any patience anymore for unacceptable user experience. No, no patience for anything, I mean, right? Not even for a long podcasts, right? <laughs> Precisely that. I'm actually, I'm looking at a soundbar speaker that I have behind my laptop that is just collecting dust and so physical products too yep right so ergonomic design and industrial design these are all parts of, of a ux journey as well that maybe some people don't think about but yeah I, I, the reason i'm calling it out is because a I'm, I'm looking straight at it and then realizing through this conversation that i never use it because it's so difficult right therein lies that patience meter that patience barometer that we all have that's like well if it's too difficult and it, if it's something that i have to go through uh, numerous steps to just get it to work right. and just to relieve sound in this case, yep. no, I don't have the time for it. You're making me think of the toaster that we have at our office, right? <laughs> I have not used it, but what's wrong with it? The reason you, I mean, maybe you don't like toast, but most people don't use it because the user interface is absolutely terrible. Like, and just, just for the record, it's a fancy toaster. It probably baked, air fried, like it probably does 39 things, but nobody knows what it does because it's got a terrible user interface. And so yeah. we all kind of wonder how can a toaster have a terrible user interface? face. Apparently somebody figured out how. It easily. Yeah. yeah. And likewise, it, so in recent years, I've come to kind of have this epiphany around the automobile industry, vehicles, right? and how everything is so well thought out, except for that UI that might exist on just the CD player. Sure. I say CD player. Who uses CDs anymore? I still do. You must have an old car. <laughs> But even the streaming, right? And and being right. able to skip songs while I'm streaming Spotify, it's so difficult. And it, it makes me think, God, there's just such a huge market just waiting. Yeah. Well, and you know what's cool? Some of the car makers are now hiring ga mobile gaming companies to build their in-car system. Because who's got UI figured out, right? The mobile app developers, the mobile game developers. Absolutely. Not car makers. Car makers do not have user interface, the touchscreen user interface. They do not have that figured out. But game developers do. And so that's kind of a way that they are solving the problem we're talking about. Yeah, and and here's a, here's another sidebar is that I just read an article on, so you think more is more, not less is more. So when you think about Tesla and how seemingly frictionless that huge screen is right. inside, right? The, the research came back that it's actually more difficult to use that than just the dialogue buttons that exist in the past. Hmm, interesting. It is interesting. There's a fine line between how much technology you're pushing 
something to that user versus how little. So I think an important thing to take away from this as well, when it comes to customer experience and user experiences is minimalism, right? Not having a advanced search with 40 different input values, but maybe a Google search that's just give me what you're kind of looking for and I'll try to get you there. Exactly. Simplification, right? Even with cars, the trend now is going to go back to mechanical buttons that are single purpose. There's a car out there that the buttons do different things depending on the mode. So sometimes it's a volume button and sometimes it's a temperature button. That is, I don't think that went through a UX review is what would be my thought. Um, (laughs) And to be fair, we could, I think you and I could spend hours talking about all the bad UIs in the world. If you're still listening right now, super appreciative that you're here with us because I think what we want to turn to next is great. I'm probably on the 80% that has the bad UI, not the 20% that doesn't. Totally made up statistic, by the way. What do I do? Like, I want to improve my customer experience. I want to improve my user experience. The answer can't just be I hired Jared because it's a great answer, but Jared has to here's what I'm going to do if you hire me, or here's what you can start to do so that you are ready to hire outside help, right? Because you might not even be to that point. Where do we begin? How do we start figuring out, do we have good customer experience? And if not, or if so, how do we improve it? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And it's usually the matchstick, right? Is just asking that question is the matchstick to creating some sort of research plan to where we can get some analysis or some output out of what are we exploring? What are the different systems that we need to explore? explore? What are the customers saying? What are your internal people saying? Where does the data lie? So there's a plethora of different areas that can be analyzed that then give us the right synthesis of output to better define what the next steps are. Then when those next steps are defined, man, that's when we get cracking. That's exactly. So a lot of the user experience of what you asked the question, what do we do? Like the most important question is asking how that way we can come in and we, we can understand what's going on and we can give you sort of this executive report on here's some areas that you have some gaps here's some areas where we're not seeing a ton of customer success right and then that high level view allows you to drill down into the very specific things that are affecting that overall customer experience and i know the ux team you talked about how the perception is it just makes it pretty it's maybe thought of as a creative service as opposed to a engineering service right yeah but what i hear you saying is the journey begins with data. Do you have data on your customer experience? Do you know what people think? Do you know how long people spend with customer support versus not? All these are data points that can be measured and gathered. So I think that might be something that's worth kind of repeating in a way is customer experience, user experience are actually data-driven disciplines. Yes. Not just, they're not just make it prettier. We can measure, we can study, and we can then make decisions based on what we find. It's it's reminding me of a, a couple of previous lives where we were digging and we were going deep, deep, deep down rabbit holes of data and the inefficiencies that the data was communicating back to, for example, a UI front end. And what we found was completely disparate database environments, no sort of architectural integrity. So what was happening with that customer experience is that they're just getting fed up. They don't care. We talked about this earlier. They're impatient. We are impatient people. So the second that something fails for me, I'm calling customer experience. That's more dollars on and more impact on that customer support side. But to hone in here, the problem 
lied with the data wasn't talking to each other the right way or efficiently. Exactly. By discovering that, by uncovering that, we actually got some executive sponsorship to reimagine what that architecture could look like so that the experience could then in turn become better. Nice. It's so simple, right? But what you have to do is sell that to your sponsorship. You have to help them understand in bullet points, in very concise format, why things are the way they are. And that's a raises a great point. It's easy to say, hey, executive sponsor, we want to reduce customer support times because it'll save us money. Yeah. Or we want our customers to be delighted with our product. That one probably doesn't go, <laughs> go very far because he's going to be like, yes, we do. Instead, I need to have a customer experience study or I need to set up this metric or I need to set up these analytics so that we may measure, so that we may then decide where it's going to be good investment. We might measure the product and find out there's a button nobody uses, but also the button doesn't cost us anything. Yep. We're going to waste money on getting rid of the button. We're certainly not going to waste money on creating new features behind that button if nobody uses it. And likewise, any kind of customer experience touch point, if you're not measuring the effectiveness of that spend, that return on investment, you're probably wasting money. And I think part of the message is how are we going to measure it and demonstrate a return on investment so that that executive sponsor can say, yes, this is something we should do. Or no, it isn't because it just isn't a good expense. 100%. And, and furthermore, just to conclude that is, do you want to spend more money on the developing of this or would you rather get it right with some prototyping or some some early concepts, not just prototyping, because that's more look and feel of the experience, but what are the things that we need to be focusing on and not necessarily discovering that while we're building? Absolutely. I think we're getting close to the amount of time that folks would want to listen to us. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> if, if I'm wrong and you're listening to this and you want to hear more of us, please contact either one of us. We're happy to talk forever about these topics. But to maybe close us out, we've talked about the foundations of customer experience. We've talked about why it matters to your business. We've talked about the fact that it's data-driven. And, and so to have a successful customer experience initiative, you have to be data-backed to even understand what you're trying to solve. What are your kind of, if I have a business today and I am worried about customer experience, maybe what's the top three things that I should go ask my leadership, ask my team members to understand where I'm at today? Mm, it's a good one. And I think that I would gravitate back toward the the asking of the question, right? The how, the what, the why, the when, the where. Yeah. Those, if we can answer those questions as it exists in the life cycle of that product for the customer, we might come back with some pretty compelling thoughts that can initiate a continued dialogue or a, or right. a further conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the basics, who, what, when, where, why, right? Of, of my customers, if I can form questions around each of those core questions to the different teams. Exactly. Where are customers complaining? Where are the the pain points where aren't the pain there's that old the world war ii airplanes as they flew into the i love this one as they came back from the battle and landed yeah they looked at where the bullet holes were and so they're like oh this is where our planes are getting shot let's put the armor there to make them better yeah and it didn't change anything because what they were not realizing at the time is these are the planes that made it back absolutely versus look at where the bullet holes aren't because if those are the planes that didn't make it back. Exactly. If you're studying your data and you're like only focused on well, where are customers unhappy, you can reinforce those areas. You can hire more customer service agents or whatever it is, but you probably should also be looking at where aren't we getting the complaints? Where are the things that are good because these are the customers that are succeeding? How do we also reinforce that so that we kind of paint that picture of we're increasing the delight as opposed to just decreasing the complaints, right? 
right? Yeah. Band-aids versus preemptive solutions. Yeah. So I think... And I love that analogy, by the way. I often think about that those World War II planes and right. how funny it is that the business of, I guess in this case of war, unfortunately, right. is that they were looking at the wrong thing. Yeah. It's one thing to have data. It's another thing to understand what the story that data is telling you. Yes. And I know that's a weird way to end a talk about customer experience, but <laughs> I think that's the reason is this is a data story and we absolutely need to treat it as a data story and figure out how do we get where we need to be based on the data. I love it. Appreciate the talk, man. I, this has been a lot of fun. Likewise, Jared. Thank you for being on the show. If you guys have any questions, please obviously get in touch with myself or Jared. We're happy to answer them and stay tuned as there'll be more of these episodes uh, talking to some other folks over the next few weeks. I'll keep the schedule posted. Thanks, everybody.